Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, man, it's a packed house. I want you guys to just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm happy that you're here. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, today, I want to preach about a subject that I think uh, is absolutely imperative that the church gets. And uh, I think it's something that the wider body of Christ has yet to tap into. Uh, and it's the power of honor. Okay. And uh, the thing about honor is I, that I want to kind of preface this with is if you've been with New Philly for a long time, you might think, oh, honor, didn't, didn't we already get that already? Don't, haven't we already graduated from the power of honor? Uh, if that's you, I just want to quickly point out uh, that that's absolutely not true. We're just scratching the surface, you guys, on the power that comes from honor. We have yet to graduate from this concept. Uh, there's so much more. And I want to talk about that more today. You know, when we think about honor, uh, if you look in the dictionary, honor is usually defined uh, to regard. And I'm looking at the verb. I'm talking about the action to honor, right? Uh, to honor is to regard with great respect, to esteem, to acknowledge. And I'm going to really focus and hone in on the definition to acknowledge, okay? In order to acknowledge something, you have to recognize I remember back in the day, you know, the, the word you would say is, you better recognize. Anybody know that? Okay, thank you. Maybe New Yorkers only by ourselves. You better recognize. And you got to pause. And Anyway, all right? That, that little slang term we used to say was, you better know who you're talking to. You better acknowledge who you're speaking to right now. You better open up your eyes and see who you're talking with right now, who you're trying to mess with, it's, you better recognize. And I want to talk about an aspect of honor that comes from recognizing. Honor that comes from acknowledging. You know, we have a scope and a grid of honor, especially in an Asian country like Korea, because honor is something that a lot of Koreans say is a staple of our culture. But I actually want to break away from the tradition of honor. When I talk about honor, I'm not just talking about honoring those that are above you honoring those that are older than you, honoring men. I'm talking about honoring what the world has deemed dishonorable. You know, we had the youth uh, rise to their feet earlier. And, you know, when you're in your teens, a lot of people tend to look down on you. You know, and it's like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're so cute. How, 12? Oh, that's so cute. You know, like, we, we talk to children like, you know, they have nothing. And we approach our youth and we treat our youth the same way. And I think when we do that, we really disconnect ourselves from the power of God that wants to flow, not just through you, but through them. And I think we're called to honor. We're called to acknowledge. We're called to recognize who the sons and daughters are. You know, I hope that this message is going to open up our perspective. It's going to open up our eyes. When you acknowledge, you begin to see things in a different light. And so that's my desire for this message. And I'm going to talk about four different ways that we're called to honor. Okay? Four different ways we're called to honor and how that's going to bless you and I. Uh, the first way is we're called to honor what God has done and what he's doing. Okay? We're called to honor what God has done and what he is doing. Okay? You know, 
I share my testimony a lot. I go, um, when I speak here at New Philly, when I speak at GCFS, I went to the retreat, they heard my testimony. And you know, what happens is a lot of people, they hear my story. I come from a story where I have a background of drugs, I stealing, promiscuity, addiction, all of that. And people hear my testimony and they're like, wow. And they come up to me and they're like, I wish I had a testimony like yours. (laughs) And a part of my spirit just gets so grieved when I hear something like that. It's like, okay, let me get this straight. You wish you were addicted to drugs and you wish that you were arrested and you wish that you struggled with it. What? Oh, I wish I had testimony like yours. And I'm not talking about people that had the same struggle as me and hear my testimony and see it as hopeful, but I'm talking about those that, that listen to my testimony have never struggled with anything that I've struggled with. You know, like, oh, I can't relate with that. I didn't do drugs. And what I want to tell you is praise God. Okay. Thank Jesus. The problem is those very people, they say to the sums, I don't have a testimony. Hey, what's your testimony? Oh, I don't have one. And that just breaks my heart. Every single person has a testimony. Every single person. And it's about acknowledging what God has done in your life. Listen, if he didn't set you free from drugs, trust me, he set you free from something. Okay? Or you're in the process. If you need freedom, we can talk later. Okay? You can meet me after this message. You know, when people tell me, uh, and I have, you know, young kids telling me, man, I wish I could. I remember when I was in youth group and I heard a testimony of this like ex-gangster turned Jesus crazy. And I sat there and I was so floored. I was so in awe. I was so impressed of the power of God. I thought to myself, oh, I wish I could be like that one day. I kid you not. I want to have a story like that. It sounds so cool to, it's so dramatic. It's so exciting. It's so interesting to, you know, have all these struggles and then, you know, become this person that's so on fire for God. And I thought, what a cool story. I want that for my life. Yeah. Wrong thing to wrong thought to think wrong thing to thought one thing. It was a wrong thing to think. Okay. At that moment. And, uh, listen, I'm not trying to degrade my testimony. I have a powerful testimony. I know that, but it grieves me. And I know that it grieves God when we hear someone else's story and we say to ourselves, Oh, I didn't go through that. So I don't have that testimony. What did God do in my life? I didn't struggle with that. So I guess God didn't really do anything in my life. You know, when I was a youth group member and I thought that to myself, what I was really doing is I set the standards quite low for myself. I wish I could be like that one day. What would have been cool is if I got a testimony of someone who's young and saw massive revival in their elementary school, I don't know, fire falling in the cafeteria or, you know what I mean? Like mass salvation in, you know, during PE, you know, or, you know, during Spanish, I don't know, breaking out of tongues and in Spanish. Come on, Shelly. That was prophetic. I didn't even think about that. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes when we hear another person's testimony, especially when we're young and we say, say to ourselves, that's the highest we can go. We set our standards quite low. And, uh, I wish someone had shared with me about seeing signs and wonders at that young of an age, because I think that would have influenced my thought process. 
And when I, I would have realized, man, God could do that much more in my life. See, I believed, even as a youth, that God could set me free from addictions I didn't have yet. But I wish that I was able to believe that he would do so much more than just that. You guys hear what I'm saying? Avoid those words from your mouth. I don't have a testimony. I wish I had a testimony like yours. Take that out of your vocabulary because it grieves God. It's time that you and I acknowledge what God has done in our lives. And, you know, even the way that I share my testimony, I started to get really convicted because the story that you guys know in my life is all the things that have gone wrong and that God has restored. But you know what is part of my testimony as well? When I sit down and when I begin to think and acknowledge what God has done in my life, I come from a generation of Christians. I'm a fifth generation Christian on my father's side. We have ministers in our lineage. Both my parents were devoted, devoted believers. They continuously prayed for me week in and week out. They fasted for me. They went to morning prayer for me. My brother became a Christian at a really early age and he joined in on interceding for me. Though we had seasons of financial struggle, my family, we never would ever tell ourselves that we've experienced poverty. Even when we had a little, we always had what we needed. When I look back and begin to acknowledge what God has done in my life, I see a flow of God's story that I never paid attention to when I was so focused on the addictions and the stealing and the this and the that and the huh, nah, 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 nah. That's my testimony as well. But God did so much more than restore me. He provided for me. Maybe that's not your specific story. Maybe your parents aren't believers, but you have parents. Maybe one parent left you when you were young, but you had one parent that cared for you. When you begin to acknowledge God's grace in your life, rather than seeing your life from the narrative of what the devil has done, trust me, we will have reason to rejoice every single day. You know, Pastor Benjamin, my spiritual mentor, he did a retreat recently at the Ark, which is their college ministry. And he talked about the two narratives of your life. He talked about God's narrative and the devil's narrative. And he talked about sometimes the way that we look at our eyes is from the perspective of the enemy. Everything that gone, that, had, that went wrong. Everything that wasn't provided for. Everything that you didn't get. All the words you didn't hear. And you begin to map out the story of your life. And even when you tell it, it's filled with that, that lack and that discouragement and the despair and the poverty. And he began to challenge these young people. I hope today you begin to open your eyes. Because God also wrote a story in your life. And it's time you tap into God's narrative and his story. And all of a sudden, all these college students, they began to see, oh my gosh, God saved me from this. God protected me from that. Yeah, I fell into this, but this never happened to me because his grace was there. All of a sudden, they began to bubble up with thanksgiving. See, when you begin to honor what God has done in your life, and what he's doing right now, it releases joy. It releases thanksgiving. It releases power. And it's not just about what God has done in your past. I'm talking about what God is doing today. Let me talk about your present situation, okay? Because we say to ourselves, okay, I have a testimony for last year, but I don't have a testimony for today. Every day, we should have a testimony of God's goodness. 
every single day, but are we acknowledging, are we honoring what God has done for us today? Are we honoring, are we recognizing the blessings that God has placed in your life right now? Are you so focused on the fact that your job has been so tough, you've been coming home late, you're overworked, you haven't had time to hang out with your friends? Which narrative are you walking in? It's time to stop treating our current situation with contempt. It's time to stop treating even our past with contempt. It robs you. You're getting robbed. You're getting robbed of joy. You're getting robbed of thanksgiving. You're getting robbed of supernatural strength. If your narrative in life is constantly thinking about what you're missing, what God didn't do for you, what God hasn't answered yet, you're getting robbed. And it's not because God's not doing anything. It's because your eyes are completely shut. It's time that we acknowledge, we honor what God is doing in our lives right now. You know, when you do that, not only does it release joy, but it releases clarity. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs chapter three, verse five to six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will keep your path straight. When you want to know the will of the Father for your life, you have to acknowledge what he's doing right now. When you choose not to acknowledge God, things begin to get blurry. All of a sudden, when you're filled with despair and discouragement, you don't know what to do. Why am I working at this job? Why am I here? It becomes blurry to you. Or all of a sudden, you forget that you got that job from supernatural provision. That God even opened up that door for you supernaturally. You forget that because you're so busy acknowledging what isn't happening and not what God is doing. And it leads to confusion. I shepherd so many people in this house that tell me I want to quit. It's time to leave my job. And when I find out about that, we dig a little bit deeper. We find out that that choice, that thought, that decision wasn't made from a place of clarity. It was made from a place of despair. Why do you want to quit your job? Because I can't take it anymore. My boss is an idiot. I can't stand it. My coworkers are so obnoxious. Do you know what the end? I just stop. What has God been doing at your workplace? And they have nothing to say. When you begin to look at your life, your present circumstances, without acknowledging God, your paths will not look straight. It will start to look blurry. It would start to be confusing and clarity will leave you. It's time we honor what God has done and also honor what he's doing right now. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, honor what he's doing. You know, Joseph is a beautiful example of this. We all are familiar with the story of Joseph in the Bible. I want you guys to turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45, and we're going to look at verses 5 to 8. 
Okay, this is the end. This is Joseph has gone through just hell up to this point. Okay, he got captured by his brothers, thrown into a pit, got enslaved to the Egyptians, you know, became a slave for a man named Potiphar, got wrongfully accused for rape, got thrown in prison. Okay, and after all of that, Joseph stayed faithful. And through supernatural means, he got exalted to be Pharaoh's right-hand man. He went from prison to being Pharaoh's right-hand man, okay? And he finally comes face-to-face with his brothers, who are the ones that started this whole thing. And this is what he had to say to them. Look at verses 5 to 8. We're going to read that together. One, two, three. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and they are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Listen, Joseph could have had a very different rendition of what happened in his life. He could have told his brothers, do you know what I had to go through because of you up till now? Well, let me sit down. Let me tell you. And he could have went on and on and on. But Joseph had sharp clarity about what happened and what God had done because he was acknowledging God in every single situation. And he was able to face the very people that threw him in that pit and say, you know what? You're not even the ones that did this. God did. He's the one that set this up in my life. And he set it up not only that I will be blessed, not only that you will be blessed, but that our people would be blessed in this time of hardship. Clarity. When you honor your present situation, when you honor your current workplace, when you honor your current boss, when you honor your current level of faith, when you honor your family, when you honor what you're dealing with right now, when you acknowledge what God is doing right now, there will be clarity. Not only of what God is doing, but what he's calling you to do in the future as well. You know, the second way that we're called to honor, and I'll keep this part brief because I think we're pretty good at this, is to honor your leaders. Okay, when you honor your leaders, you position yourself for blessing. Their ceiling becomes your floor. This is proven just with the simple story of Elijah and Elisha, or Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 1 and 2, here is Elijah and Elisha who was kind of like Elijah's disciple. And Elijah, who was moving in powerful anointing, his disciple Elisha received a double anointing. The only reason why that was possible, you guys, is because Elijah first recognized, Elisha first recognized who Elijah was and what he was carrying. I don't think Elisha would have walked around following Elijah everywhere if he didn't recognize or honor who Elijah was and who God ordained him to be. See, he was blessed because he recognized. But that's easy, right? When someone's walking in that kind of anointing, what happens when your leader, 
you don't even know what kind of anointing your leader has. You're not sure if there's anything positive going on with your leader. What happens when you have a leader in your life, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, someone that you're called to submit to, and you look at this leader and all you see are their weaknesses and their faults and their mistakes and all the things that you know are terrible and bad and things that you don't want to become. What happens? Well, what happens is it becomes very easy to fall into the land of contempt. Okay? It's easy to begin to build a house there, live there, and just treat your leader with contempt. But like I said earlier, when you treat anything with contempt, you position yourselves not to receive, but to get robbed. You'll only rob yourself. No matter how ridiculous your leader is, no matter how mean they are, mean-spirited. You know, sometimes Christians are all about like, oh, only honor Christians. That's ridiculous. Even your non-believing boss has something that to offer you. Your non-believing boss has something worth honoring for. Trust me. Why? Because everybody was made in God's image. Every single person, even if it's covered up with a lot of other stuff, trust me, when you begin to look in the spirit, when you begin to see your boss from a perspective of faith, you'll be able to notice, man, my boss, he's okay. So he's not so good at that, but he's really good at this. I wasn't able to notice that, but he's really great at this. I want to walk in that inheritance. You know, one of our um, Emmaus students, Sonia, not Sonia, Sonia, she, uh, she was with us in Korea for about one semester, and her life got dramatically transformed. Like, I'm talking about she came in, she already loved God, but it was like she got blasted. She got hit with the fire of God. Her desire, her passion for missions just kind of like poof, exploded. And now she's got this, like, heart for North Korea that's just on fire. And uh, after one semester of being with New Philly and being with our college ministry, she had to go back home. And when she went back home and she went to her, her home church, she had the temptation to just be like, oh, man, my leader isn't Pastor Christian. You know, my leader doesn't preach like him or my campus ministry doesn't look like Emmaus or my church doesn't look like New Philly. I begin to just say, oh, man, this, and begin to treat her current ministry with contempt. A lot of our students actually end up doing that. And they begin to lose everything that they received here when they do so. Not only do they get robbed of the blessings God, want to give them, God wants to give them at that moment, but they get robbed of the blessings God already gave them. But she didn't do that. She said to herself, man, let me see this ministry with your eyes, God. She's actually back here visiting for two months. And so she shared this testimony with me. And she said, when I began to pray for my ministry and I began to acknowledge God, I began to see how amazing my leaders were. I began to see what God wanted to do and was doing in our ministry. And I began to partner with that. And she, when I talked with her, she has grown that much more from the last time I saw her. She didn't come back all stunted and gross. She didn't come back discouraged. She didn't come back, oh man, I miss you guys. I don't know what to do. She came back so much more mature, so much more on fire, so much more in love with God. Why? Because she understood the power of honoring her leaders. When she began to honor them, see with those eyes, acknowledge that God has placed them over her life. At that time, in that moment, she began to see, wow, God knows what he's doing. And listen, her leaders don't agree with everything that she believes. 
but it didn't matter. She sought the path of honor no matter what. She chose to honor her leader. She chose to honor her church. And because of it, she was so blessed. You know, when you treat your leader with contempt, their ceiling doesn't become your floor. What happens is their floor becomes your ceiling. Now the things that they're already walking in, you can't even grasp. You don't even reach. You don't even get that. You don't even get the revelation of that because you're so busy treating them with contempt that you have missed out on the opportunity to be blessed. Not only to be a blessing, but to be blessed. You know, when you treat anybody with contempt, especially a leader, you disconnect yourself from receiving the grace that they're carrying. Everybody's different. Some leaders look like Pastor Christian, and some leaders look like myself. Some leaders look like your pastors from back home, and some leaders look like Pastor John Michael. Regardless of their DNA or their character or their personality, they are carrying a grace. And that grace becomes inaccessible to you when you choose to treat them with contempt. Trust me, you treat anybody with contempt, you're the one that loses out. The third way that you're called to honor is to honor one another. Okay, don't just stop with let's honor God and let's honor our leaders. I'm talking about honoring one another. And I mean that in the church and outside of the church. I'm talking about honoring your cousin who's a non-believer. I'm talking about honoring your friend who is, you know, a practicing Buddhist. It doesn't matter. Honor them. You're called to honor them. Honor one another. Because when you honor another person, you're actually honoring God. When you honor one another, it empowers the person that you're honoring. It empowers them. It empowers them. It allows you to see and celebrate what they're moving in and how God created them. Sometimes we make that excuse, oh, man, there's nothing to honor with this person. And I just want to encourage you guys, don't honor according to worldly standards. God never did. The people that God chose to carry out the most amazing testimonies in the Bible were always the weakest. Were always the one that everyone else deemed as dishonorable. David, the youngest of all the brothers, the one who was supposed to just take care of the sheep. Prophet Samuel had to go through every single brother until he finally got to David. David wasn't even there at that moment. And God said, that's the one I'm going to choose to honor. You know, um, when, you, uh, when you honor someone, what you're doing is you bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes. That's part of our mandate here at New Philly, Isaiah chapter 61. It's not look at the ashes, come into agreement with the ashes, establish the ashes, affirm the ashes, confirm the ashes. It's about bestowing a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I don't care if all you see is ashes. I don't care if all you see is discouragement or depression or, you know, uh, complaining or whatever. I want you to bestow a crown of beauty and begin to declare, no, you're worthy. You're worthy to be loved and bestow that Honor and value over even the people that you have a hard time looking at with the right eyes. Proverbs 14.31. Pro-
Proverbs 14.31, it says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Let me tell you something. When you treat someone else with contempt, you're messing with God. When you're treating someone else with contempt, you are messing with God. It says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults who? His maker. So whether that person is a believer or not, whether that person is a weak believer, whether that person is a strong believer but has poor character, whatever fault you find in that person and you choose to stay in that place of contempt, guess what? You are, you are insulting his maker, her maker. You're messing with God. But it says rather, he who is generous, he who is generous to the needy honors him, meaning honors God. We got to change our attitude about one another. Amen. We got to change our attitude towards the people we work with. We got to change our attitude and our perspective with people that we struggle to get along with. You and I, we have authority. When God says honor them, he's not saying figure it out. He's saying, I'm giving you authority to release honor. You and I have the authority to honor somebody, to acknowledge the good in somebody, to acknowledge the gold in somebody. And we're called to follow through on that. Barnabas honored Apostle Paul. Now, when we look at Apostle Paul, he's like the man, right? He wrote so much of the New Testament. He was a man that did so many exploits for the kingdom of God. He brought the gospel message to the Gentiles. Apostle Paul was incredible. But before he was Apostle Paul, he was Saul. And when he was Saul, he was out murdering Christians. He was out leading the party to stone Christians. He was an enemy to believers. And when God met him powerfully on the road to Damascus, and he finally transformed and received the revelation of who God was, all the believers had a hard time accepting him. Can you imagine the very man that was responsible for stoning your best friend is now coming to you saying like, what's up? You know, I want to join the club. Like, let's be, let's be friends now. It's like, what? Everybody wanted to reject him. But one man, Barnabas, decided, I'm going to acknowledge what God has done in this man's life. I'm going to choose to honor this man. And Barnabas played a key role in being Apostle Paul's advocate in a very crucial time. We're called to honor one another. Listen, when we begin to do that, you're going to hear and and see so many testimonies. You're going to see so many testimonies. Those people that you've been praying for, let me... One of the reasons why you haven't seen your prayers getting answered for them is because you haven't been honoring them. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I pray for my boss. Help him. Help him. Change him. Transform him. But you're not honoring him. Every opportunity you have to speak life over him or her, you're not doing so. And you're wondering why you don't see change. When you begin to shift in this place of acknowledging who that person is, what God can do and what God is doing, trust me, you'll see the fruit of honor. It's powerful. And the last thing I want to talk about that we're called to honor is honor what you carry. 
Honor what you carry. What I mean by that is don't just honor the leader. Don't just honor God. God, you're awesome. Okay, that's a given. Don't just honor the person next to you who's so amazing at this and that. I want you to honor what you're carrying. Honor what you care. Honor your anointing. Honor your personality. Honor your who you are, who God created you to be. Honor that person. When you do that, you're going to position yourself to increase. But not only that, you're going to reveal God's glory. When you honor what you carry, you're going to reveal God's glory. You know, a lot of people, when they see me, they see me move in the prophetic powerfully on the stage. I'll call somebody up. I'll pray over them, and it'll speak directly into their hearts. Let me tell you, when I first started stepping into the prophetic, it was ridiculous, okay? I started off seeing all sorts of random things, like I see a goat, and it's eating grass. Does that speak to you? Like, half the things that I was, like, thinking about majority of the things had nothing to do with anything, you know? And I had a temptation to just treat what I was given with contempt. Like, you know what? Okay, this is as far as I'm going. I suck. You know, obviously, I'm not good at praying for people. Obviously, they walk away more confused than they were blessed, and so I just need to stop it. But we tend to do that with ourselves. We begin to see ourselves where we're at in our faith, and we treat it with contempt. And we, rather than acknowledging what God has done thus far, we just say, you know what? We got to give up. Because what we have is nothing. I had so many opportunities. I Listen, I had prophesied a lot of accurate things, and I had prophesied a lot of nonsense. Okay? A lot of things that had nothing to do with anything. I remember giving a prophetic word like, you know what? You have a brother. No, I don't have a brother. Um, a sister. No, I don't have a sister. I'm an only child. I'm like, you know someone named Bob. You know, like... It just had nothing to do with anything. But can I tell you, God honored one thing, and it was my, me stepping out in faith. Just the fact that I stepped out in faith, he honored that. And he knew that me doing that, I was honoring what he had given me, even if it was just a seed form. Someone had preached to our congregation that everyone is called to prophesy. And when I heard that, I believed it. And I began to steward that word, and I began to act on that word. And even when I started very small, and even when I made so many mistakes, I realized it's okay. And I honored little by little what I had. You know, I'll give you a good example of treating ourselves with contempt. A lot of us living in Korea, Korea is not our hometown. For some of you guys, it is. But for me, I'm born and raised in New York. And so once a year, I usually make a trip to New York to see my family. And it's funny. When I'm in the context of church, I'm preaching and I'm praying and I'm whatever, laying hands. But when I get home, all of a sudden, I forget who I am. And it becomes very easy for me to forget and honor what I'm carrying. All of a sudden, when I'm in the context of my mom and my dad and my brother who you know, know all the mistakes I've made, who've seen me in my worst times. When I'm around my cousins who are all older than me and some of them who are in ministry, I forget. I forget what I'm carrying. I remember the first couple times me and Christian would go back home to visit our families. Christian would just try to, he would just start, you know, giving glory to God about, you know, what's going on in our church. And he'll be like, yeah, you know what? Actually, your daughter, the other day she preached this message. And I'd be like, shh, stop stop. Like I'd actually physically resist 
him sharing that testimony because I found myself being embarrassed. Like, they're not going to believe that. They're not, you know, like my family doesn't care about that. Like, don't, don't, don't talk about that. That's so embarrassing. Like, mm, mm, mm. and like Christian would see me like physically convulse, you know, (laughs) as he's like, your daughter is blah, blah, blah. And I was just so afraid of being rejected. I was so afraid of being rejected by my own family that I completely disregarded the fact that God has anointed me to be a blessing to them. And Christian would be like, you know what? Let's pray for your brother. Come on, hon. Let's pray. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to pray for him. And it's not because I didn't want to bless him. It's because in that moment, I got so intimidated that I allowed myself to believe I had nothing to give him. Not that I didn't want to give him anything. I thought, what could he possibly receive from his baby sister? That's significant. I forgot. I forgot what I was carrying. I treated what I had with contempt. And I remember my husband sat me down after, you know, spending time with my family, and he just straight up rebuked me. And he was like, hon, you can't do that. You act like a different person when you're home. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) And he's like, you act like, you act like God didn't do everything that he did in the past, like, three years. It's like you forgot everything. And I just, it really struck me. And I came face to face with my unbelief my doubt in my, in what I was carrying in my mind, I thought it's only for the church. It's only for Korea. It's like zoned, you know, like the Korea is my zone. But once I hit New York, like I got nothing, you know, and he had to really break me out of that unbelief and break me into a place where I started to, you know what? No, I can bless my family. Even if they're all older than me, even if my parents are my parents, I can prophesy over my parents and I can release life. I can release encouragement over my brother, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we're called to honor what we carry. There's a verse in the Bible that says, for those who have much more will be given. And for those who don't have what they have will be taken away. It's a weird verse. When I first heard that, for those who don't have what they have will be taken. I was like, how does that make any sense? If they don't have anything, what could be taken away? But I realized it was talking about mindset. For those who have the mindset that they don't have anything, what they actually have will be taken away. You and I can't stay in the place, that mindset, we don't have anything. I don't have anything. Or what I have is not enough. Or, you know, I got to wait till I'm this and that. I got to pray 20 more years. I got to read the Bible 20 more times from cover to cover before I can encourage somebody. All of that, we got to break out of that because it is not of God. Not only does God call us to honor him directly, but he's saying, honor what I've been doing in your life. Honor what I'm doing in you. Don't treat with contempt what you carry, but honor. You know, this goes even with the basics like personality, okay? Listen, I'm a people person. I like to talk, 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 talk. And there are times where I look at myself from like an outside body perspective, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, why am I like that? You know, like just stop talking or, you know, why did I have to do that? Or, you know, just to observe my weaknesses or even my strengths and be like, man, I wish I had these set of strengths. We have a brother in Pusan who's part of the church plant team. His name is Roy. 
And Roy is probably like the opposite of me, okay? Roy is very introvert. He is like, I'm artistic too, okay? Um, no, but he's extremely artistic. Uh, he's extremely witty. And it's like he doesn't say much, but when he says something, it's always like, you know what I mean? Like, where did you get that from? He's so insightful. And whenever I'm around him, I'm always like in awe. Like, I just think he's awesome. And when I hear myself, you know, I talk a lot. So maybe like one out of 30 things I say are like, you know, but the rest of the 29 is like, woo. But Roy, it's like everything he says, it's like, even his Facebook comments, you know, for my Facebook comments are like, LOL, you know, exclamation point or smiley face or that's awesome. But Roy's are just so witty. And I'm just like, how do you think of things like that? And uh, I remember we went on missions um, together in Cambodia. I remember there was a moment where I was like, man, I wish I was more like Roy. Like, why can't I be? I wish I had his strengths. I wish I had his skill set or his personality. Like I was in a point in my life where I was really treating myself with contempt. And, um, you know, I see that with my staff, uh, with Emmaus. I see that with some of the leaders. You know, sometimes we think to ourselves, man, I wish I had so-and-so's skill set. And we when we do that, we treat what we have with contempt. I remember telling one of the leaders, you know, who was complaining to me, I wish I was like so-and-so. And I was like, listen, I only need one so-and-so. You know, like so-and-so is awesome. Let's say the name is Bob. Bob is amazing. And Bob has, is, oh man, we have Bobby David though, right? So let me change. Uh, Greg, I don't think there's a Greg. Greg is, oh, oh, do we have a Greg? Okay, Greg is awesome. But, and I love Greg and Greg brings glory to God, but I need you to be you. I don't need 20 Gregs. I don't need two Gregs. I just need one. And I need you to be you. Imagine if we were all exactly the same. Oh my gosh, that would be terrible. It would be terrible. The reason why we reveal God's heart the way that we do is because we're all so ridiculously different. Honor what you carry. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, honor what you carry. All right. All right. Turn, turn to your neighbor and say, you better recognize. All right. I like that better. You know what I'm saying? You better recognize. Listen, we're called to honor God, what he's done, what he's doing right now. Okay. We're called to honor our leaders. We're called to honor one another. We're called to honor what we carry. Another way that we can honor what we carry is by our resources. Now, stay with me here, okay? When you look at what you have literally in your hands and you see lack, you will not be able to do what God has called you to do. When you honor what you see in your hands, it releases creativity. Come on, say creativity. Creativity. You can't, it's impossible for you to be creative if you're in the mindset of lack. It's impossible if you're looking at the things and let's say even art for art, for someone who does art, you know, Judy, she uh, lives with me and she is taking an art class right now. And, uh, one of our art classes is this abstract class. It's bizarre. And, uh, she comes home with all these weird materials and puts it all together. And I'm like, 
what's going on. She goes, I have to come up with this and that and that. And if she sat there and looked at her materials and just cried like, I don't have the materials I need, there's no way that she'd be able to do what she does and produce the art that she does. She can't be creative. It's impossible. Okay, creativity only flows when you acknowledge your resources, no matter how untraditional they are. It breaks limitations. Let me give you an example. I love the show Project Runway. Okay, Project, anybody know Project Runway? Okay, thank you. All right, Project Runway is a reality show where it's, they're fighting to be a designer, fashion designer, and they get a challenge each week. And each week, this, this challenges, they test their limits and their boundaries. And one of the seasons they did where they had to, the challenge where it was, they had to uh, go to a grocery store and find material for clothing in a grocery store. And they're like, what in the heck? And the people that really thrived in that competition were the ones that looked at the grocery store, and all they saw was resources. They just acknowledged. They were like, okay, I got this. I got that. Someone did this incredible dress with a corn husks. It's like bizarre, but it was, it was beautiful. And nobody would have been able to think of that, you know? And so it's just being able to, and others were like, oh, I do fabric. I don't do this nonsense, you know? Like, I'm a fashion designer. And they, like, got, like, shower curtains, and they made this. It was terrible. They were so stuck. They were so limited in what they had because they were unable to acknowledge what was there, okay? I'll give you another example. Marcus, he's like my book reading partner, okay? And so how it works is basically he reads the books, okay? And then he recommends them to me, and then I read the book. Well, I take his book that he just read. I then read the book, and then we sit in the office and we talk about it. And a lot of the books that he's been reading so far, it has to do with the creativity uh, in the business realm and just cool, just things that have been causing us to think outside of the box. And one of the books is called What I Wish I Knew When I Was 20. And I don't know if you guys ever read that book, but I highly recommend it. It's really good. And she talks about this, knowing your resources. And there is a, uh, she's a, she was a professor and she gave an assignment to her class, a college professor. And basically what she did was she broke the class up into teams and she gave them envelopes of just $5, I believe. And she said, I want you to make as much money as you can from these $5. And so they broke up. And some of the teams, what, what do you think? What would you do if you had $5 and you had to make money? Okay. I wasn't thinking that. But yes, people do that. That's, there's actually a really cool testimony of that um, with paper clips, from paper clip to a house. But that's another story. But uh, one of the teams, they did what a lot of people would think is to buy something that they could make and then sell it. For example, lemonade. Okay, so what they, do, what they did was one team got lemonade, uh, you know, lem- materials for lemonade, and they sold lemonade, and, you know, they made a little bit of profit. And then another team... Other teams began to realize that the resources that they had wasn't just the $5 that they were given. Okay, listen to this. One team decided, they looked around campus and they saw that at a couple of the really poppin' restaurants, everyone would wait like hours in line, you know? And people would just be like, oh, so frustrated waiting an hour or 30 minutes to eat a really good meal. And what they did was they began to wait online and they would sell their spot. Okay, so they would go early, okay, before the mad rush, and they would begin to sell. And then they would stand there, and right before they hit the door, they would go to someone that's, you know, in the back or not online and be like, hey, you want my spot? I'll sell it to you for $20. And people who are hungry, 
Don't say what. You know, if you're hungry, you're like, listen, I'll give you a hug. Just get me in. When we're hungry, we're, we're ready to throw down money. And so they, they realized they started making a lot of money doing that. They made more money with those beepers, you know, those like vibrating things. And what happens with they would go in line, they get a beeper, and then they'd sell their reservation and trade it with the other beeper. And then they'd be able to sell that beeper later on when that was, you know what I mean? Like just what happened was they didn't even use the $5. They began to realize that what they thought they had actually wasn't it. They had so much more. They began to acknowledge that they had so much more resources than they thought. And my favorite story is this. One team from that very group, what happened was they realized that they, what happened was everybody had to give like a 15, 10-minute presentation of how they made money to the whole class. This was a class about a couple of hundred students. And one team realized that the most profitable thing that they had was that time of presenting to students. And what they did was they went to a business on campus, told them that I have about a 15-minute slot to present to all these peers of mine, and I will advertise your company if you pay me to a couple of hundred students. And they made the most money out of every other group, and they made their money in their presentation. 15 minutes and they turned $5. How much was it? $640, $5. Why? Because they understood that where they thought they were limited, they actually weren't. This is something that we need to catch as a body that's getting ready to build. You have to acknowledge what you have. And it's not about, oh, I only have $5, or I only have this much anointing, or I only have this amount of school education, or I only have this much time. No, don't think like that. you got to break out of that poverty mindset and begin to, no, God, I have 15 minutes. I can do a lot in 15 minutes. God, I have 10 paper clips. I can do a lot with 10 paper clips. I was so inspired by this story, and I'll end with this, that I gave an assignment to my Emmaus staff. There's eight of them not including myself, I broke them up into two teams and I gave them a pack of post-its. And I said, make these post-its valuable. They're like, what? And I'm like, make these post-its valuable. I want you to come up with a presentation that will bless our college students with these post-its. And they start to ask me all these questions. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not going to answer anything. That's the only direction, only instruction that I'm going to give you. And so they got a pack of post-its. They all procrastinated. Um, hated the assignment until the, the retreat, which is the Emmaus retreat, where they had to present their thing. And one group used the packet of Post-its to do the story of, it's a story by, um, it's a children's story by, why am I drawing blank all of a sudden? John Maxwell. John Maxwell? Max Lucado. I don't know where I came up with John Maxwell. Max Lucado. And it's this, I won't go too much into detail, but they did a drama and it was beautiful. And then another team, what they did was they researched the history of post-its and they found out that post-its were actually created by, it was a mistake. The person that invented post-its was actually trying to invent a really strong adhesive. And what he came up with was something that was flimsy. It was a weak adhesive, but then he figured out This could actually be dandy. He began to use it as a bookmark in books, and that's how the invention of post-its came about. It was out of a mistake. And so they took that concept, and they did a spoken word. It was powerful. Each person that came up, there were four, 
represented someone in the Bible or in this world that was that had a mistake that God turned around for his glory. And so they talked about, you know, Moses killing the Egyptian to Moses setting free the Israelites, right? And they ended with the invention story of the post-it. And they looked at the college students and they held the pack. They didn't even open the post-it, right? They held up the packet of post-its and they said, what's your post-it? And they ended with that. It was powerful. They were so, they were like, we didn't even open the packet, you know? Like, they were so excited. Um, when we begin to realize that we're actually not as limited as we think, we begin to do supernatural things. We began to let creativity flow. We'd say to ourselves, oh, I wish I had more time. I wish I had more resources. I wish I had studied. I wish I could take classes. But all of those all of those comments, all of those thoughts, we need to shut down. And we need to begin to honor what we're carrying and watch God is going to begin to release spirit of creativity and show you with what you have right now, you can do incredible things. $5, that's all they had. A packet of post-its, that's all they had. I want you guys to just close your eyes with me. And I believe that God wants to take this concept of honor, the power of honor to another level in our house. It's time that we see with eyes that acknowledge God in all things. That we begin to acknowledge God in our own lives. Some of you guys, when you look at your life, all you see is the bad. All you see is what you missed out on. What was taken from you. I believe God wants to rewrite your story right now. And give you a testimony that's so filled with his grace and his power, his intervention, his goodness, his love for you. We got to acknowledge Some of you, it's about acknowledging where you're at right now. And you've been getting frustrated. And you've been allowing yourself to treat your current situation with contempt. God is wanting to break you out of that place. And he's wanting for you to acknowledge what he's doing in your life. And to release clarity where you've been confused. Others, it's about honoring other people, whether it be your leaders or one another. You've been struggling. You've been struggling to get past the mistakes, to get past the weaknesses. And you've been robbing yourself of receiving blessing. And finally, it's about honoring what you carry. You're not in lack. You are not in lack. But God wants to open your eyes to what you have. To the way that he specifically created you, molded you, shaped you from your personal DNA, your personality to the resources that you have in your life right now. 
and he wants you to multiply. I want to give you guys an opportunity just to respond to just the ways that we're being called to honor today. I want you guys, let's just begin to take a time to pray all together. I want you guys to lift up your voice and I want you to speak to what has spoken to you. And I want you to begin to declare the place that you've been treating with the contempt or the person that you've been treating with contempt. I want you to begin to shift. And I want you to begin to allow God to show you what he's doing. To show you what he's doing. So let's just begin to open up our mouths and let's just begin to pray right now. I want you to break that spirit of contempt and release honor. Yeah, God, I just thank you, Father, for what you're doing, Lord, right now, Lord.